I think in all these places, even like when I was a kid, the way that I was discipled by even like my youth pastors was just finding a place to serve, finding a place to get plugged in in the church that wasn't just like my comfortable place. I still remember the day like my dad volunteered me that I was going to be uh, doing a funeral with him and like they didn't have pallbearers. So like me and my boys were being pallbearers for this for this funeral because mm -hmm. they needed someone to do it. So we all dressed up in suits and we, we were the pallbearers. And I remember specifically because someone else picked me up because he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And like having that guy walk me through and doing this ministry, that's something I I would never volunteer to do ever in my life. I don't even want to do that now. And having someone actually have me do that and how that changed the way I viewed church, changed the way I saw things inside of my own little personal bubble. Welcome to the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast, where we talk about the calling of youth pastors to equip students for the work of making disciples, moving teens from church attenders to disciple makers. Here are your hosts, Joel Friend and Jeremy Collins. Welcome to the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast. Hi guys, how are you guys doing today? Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I uh, hung out with some older ladies today for Bible study on Acts 15. It was great. That's weird. Oh, so you talked about whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised. Correct. Right? That's right. Oh, that's I took a... my Acts quiz a couple weeks ago for school. So that was, that, fun. that was a lot of fun. Lee, how are you today? I'm doing good. I, I My first time teaching fourth and fifth graders at New Community, that's what I talked about, circumcision. That was really fun. A good start. Solid yeah. start. Yes. Yeah, it could be worse. could have the sex talk with kids, and you have to email their parents a couple weeks out just be like, hey, you've already talked about this with your kids, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's like way worse stories that anybody who's listening has. So uh, we're actually excited to have uh, Lee on the podcast today, and we'll get to uh, why he's on the podcast here in a second. But, you know, this is a little full circle for you, Lee. This, uh, this building used to be your old stomping grounds for ministry for a while. You inter interned here for a while, and you'll share that in a minute. But you and Jeremy have logged a lot of hours together. So I was curious, what is your favorite Jeremy Collins story? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, there are two that come immediately to mind. Oh, gosh. It's either the one when we went to D.C. together <laughs> or it's the cookie story. And mm. I, I'm leaning towards the, the D.C. story because it's more fun. Because I've been with Jeremy at this point for a long time. It was like year five together. Yeah. We go on a mission trip to D.C., which was we were having a great time. It was an interesting event. But that day wasn't going well. And I don't remember what happened beforehand. But it was not going well altogether. Oh, we tried to go to the... We tried. We tried to go to a museum. The Natural the, History Museum. Yes. Uh, yeah. The African American History Museum. Yeah. Could not get in. And then we went to another museum. And it was we only could stay for like five seconds before they closed. So then we, were, then, we, then we had to leave because we were parked in a spot that was like you had to leave before five. Hmm. So it was just like a, a series of bad events. Then we finally go to get some food. And the place we picked does not actually have food. It's just a market. And we're, we are hungry and we're annoyed with a bunch of kids. And midway and this through. This was our day off. This supposed is, to be relaxing. This is our relaxing day. Midway through the day. And at one point, Jeremy realizes that he might have left the, locked his keys in the van. And icing on the cake. And it's just, and it's a peak like Jeremy has reached the point where he's ready to like legitimately break the glass on this van and we're going to drive home immediately. Some kid is now sitting on glass and we are, we are leaving our stuff here at DC. We're not coming back for it and we're going straight home immediately. 
and me and like one other senior girl, actually, was she in college at that point? It was a college student. We are the only ones that know when Jeremy has officially lost it. And we just walk it's not away. Often, we've but we've walked away because we're like, oh, because it's I'm I'm just shepherding kids away. Like, <laughs> yeah. just leave them alone, let them have a moment. And granted, the keys were like right on the ground, right in front of the van. But still, it was a moment where I thought we were going home <laughs> in the middle of a mission trip, sitting on glass. Well, and, and the way that it started though was it took us forever to find a parking spot. And yes. we were driving around for like 30 minutes in the area we wanted to be just trying to find a parking spot. And so it was just, yeah, thing after thing after thing. And yeah. how, how long did you know Jeremy at this point? This was probably four years in. Yeah. About. Okay. Yeah. okay. So you, you, you knew what his breaking point was. It wasn't like it was your first time with him and you're like, no, I don't this know this is, dude. And this is like, I, I knew that the breaking point was coming probably right. an hour and a half before <laughs> it happened. I was just, at that point, I was also, I'm a fan of like poking the bear. So I also was slightly getting him to a point where he probably was going to snap. And I just didn't know that he was. I didn't know the keys was going to happen. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the was, keys did happen. They, so all of my probably poking and prodding and right. having kids say random things to him was not helping at that moment because, yeah, we almost. Yeah, that's good. Was, uh, such good. Uh, I also want to point out to people, anybody who actually follows the podcast, uh, just to come back around, is that uh, Lee was the one that we talked about a couple weeks ago in mm-hmm. uh, the episode uh, where it was the two kids, the or it was the leader and the and the kid, and against Just me and my us. team, my football team at Laurelville, where you guys were the only two to score a touchdown on us. So but let's get the let's two get the perspective. Two, yeah, two, that's right, right, two right, right, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Just to be clear, four so plays. Let's get your place. perspective. What's your, you know, how, how was that experience for you? Well, at that point, I, I think we only had one kid that wanted to play football and he didn't really want to play. So I just wanted to, I wanted to, I'm all about having a good time and publicly right. embarrassing myself. That's not a big deal for me. Right. So I had spent the entire morning after we signed up talking trash to any student who would listen. Mm. A lot. A trash. lot of, a lot, a lot of trash. Like I was telling them exactly the play. We're going to, we're going to run one Hail Mary. We're going to score one touchdown and I'm leaving the field. That was my, that was my goal. I didn't think anything was going to happen. I thought we were just going to get waxed immediately. And the other, and the leaders of the camp also didn't want us to play by ourselves, but we refused to do that. So there's this beautiful video that Jeremy took of us where the guy's going like, does anyone want to help these guys? We're like, no. It was Tracy. No, Tra- yeah. no Tracy. No, no Tracy. We're, we're, only, we're, we're only doing one thing. That was, it was really fun. It's like, let them, let them learn the hard way. But it was me who had to overcome some adversity. <laughs> but in the, but the, in the end, uh, yeah, well, the, the other full circle part of it is now just for those listening, um, uh, anybody who might know, I'm actually transitioning out of my role in our student ministries, moving into a, the pastor discipleship role. And so we are on the hunt for someone to kind of, you know, fill my shoes in, in regards to ministering to the guys. And uh, Lee is the guy who recently became our new associate director of student ministries. And so uh, if you can't beat him, join him, I suppose. So that and, and, and the guy who ran back the game winning interception is now one of your leaders for high school. So yes. <laughs> it's all it's all full circle. But it's funny is like as we went through the process and Lee came the one time, some of our students were like the high school boys were like, why do I know him? Like, I'm not going to tell you. And then they figure, they're like, oh my gosh, it's the guy from Laurelville. And, and, but I, we're in the process where I knew we were, we had actually already interviewed you. And I was like, 
when I found out we were playing you guys, I was like, this is great because it's an opportunity for our kids to be able to yeah, see him in action. And, and that actually warmed them up uh, to him. And then someone who came back around, it was a great story. to be. Well, able and that to was my that. favorite part. And if you heard that story, my favorite line is I'm standing next to your students on the sideline yeah. who went from cheering for you yeah. to cheering for Lee. And I'm sitting here going... I know he's going to be their youth pastor soon. <laughs> I can't say anything. Right, right, right. Yeah, I hope you really like this guy. Yeah. I hope you really like him. So, well, Lee, dreams. Lee, the reason why we had you on the podcast today, um, uh, mostly because you've got a, quite a bit of history and a quite a bit, a bit of like a diverse background in your own being ministered to experience, but then also uh, your ministry experience. And I'll let you tell that story here in a second. But what we wanted to do on this episode was talk about, okay, so sometimes in youth ministry, you have people, you have students who come from a variety of different backgrounds, uh, whether or not they're from a single family, a divorced family, a healthy family, maybe you have parents that aren't Christians, you have parents that are Christians, um, you have some uh, racial diversities in your youth ministries, you have cultural diversity in your youth ministries, people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, you have students that are homeschooled, uh, love those homeschool kids, you got public school kids and private school kids, and you even have kids like from different school districts, mm -hmm. right? So there's a lot here yeah. that sometimes we're, we're all coming into this one centralized place and we're trying this sort of one-size-fits-all approach to ministry, and we want to have a conversation about that. Is that good? Uh, and I got to tell you, for me personally, you know, uh, I, you know, I've been ministering for the last 13 years to, you know, mostly suburban white kids. So my area of expertise in this, not so great when it comes to some of those things. I, I feel like I've had good experience with the, uh, you know, the difference in socioeconomic background, but I just felt ill-equipped to be able to have a conversation uh, about this. And I'm curious too, right? Hmm. It's just like, okay, so you have a, a wide variety of, of backgrounds in this, and I wanted to get some of your thoughts. And you were very eager to, to talk about this, which I'm excited about. So before we start kind of asking you questions about that stuff, and, uh, you know, I just want to hear a little bit of your story. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you ended up sort of arriving to where you are now, and a little bit of your background. You've had a variety of youth ministries that you've played a part in, including Jeremy's ministry over the years. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a D.C.-born kid. So I was born and raised there where my dad was the head deacon when we first actually, when I was living there, and then he became a minister while, right before we moved so I spent most of my life just hanging out at church. Like that was right. like my, that was my kid life. It was just my first time driving was driving the church van sitting mm -hmm. on my dad's lap, almost running over, running over the entrance of the church. Cause I thought I was hot snot. So like, that's, that's me as a kid spending all the time at the church. Then we moved to Pittsburgh when I was seven, I started going to Triumph Baptist church. Shout out to Triumph up in Swickley. And my, I also went to a super conservative Southern Baptist high mm -hmm. school, middle school area, area. So North Hills Christian school. So like my church background, hardcore black, we love gospel music. And then I go to the super conservative, like we are shirt and tie, like comb over haircut, white <laughs> church where like, it's super, it's, it's completely two different backgrounds. Right. And that's, that's, that's kind of how I grew up. So I get it. I went to youth group at one church where it's just like, we're just hanging out talking about like, nothing in basketball and then another church where it's like we're going over like what is like the hermeneutical point of this text and like we're using real words like hermeneutical points right, and right. so like that's it's way different when you have like two different backgrounds two sure. different church youth groups that are like not not remotely even the same one was just about what how do we have relationships with each other because you are it's a youth group where almost 
every one of these kids goes to a different school. And we all are the only, if one of the few black kids in that school. So for that youth group, it was more important for us to just kind of hang out and right. know that you're not the tigger in, in the world. There, mm. There's more than just you. Mm. And then from there, I went to Teal College. Shout out to Go Tomcats, boo. And uh, <laughs> Be Grove City. Um, so I went there and I started doing uh, Bible studies there when I was in school. I met this guy named Dan Isidore. Dan who, Isidore. That's who actually, our first connection. Who introduced me to Jeremy. Right. And he he came in and started doing Bible studies with us, helping us out. And he invited me to start doing youth group with him at the church he was going to. Uh, he was doing ministry at, which was really fun. It was like my first time actually being on the other side of the curtain and actually doing mm-hmm. youth ministry. Like my whole life was like, ah, oh, this is just fun and games. It's kind of cool. But then after that, getting a chance to actually teach a Bible study to high school kids mm-hmm. and do those kind of things was like a really eye-opening experience and in a really different place than I've ever been. Like Grove City's and I Teal's at in this place called Greenville. And it's not anything like where I was growing up. It's a really, it's a really poor area for the church, especially yeah. that church. And like bunch of poor white kids which i had never had an opportunity to work with because i grew up in suburban white america where like money was really not an issue Mm -hmm. for most of these kids and having a different opportunity to do ministry in a different place was really interesting and over eye-opening from there i came back and started doing ministry back in my home church at triumph and did ministry there for a long time which honestly even from the time we went ministry there to the time i left was changed multiple times we had a when i first started when i was getting ministered to it was a bunch of kids that Grew up in suburban, suburban area. Then, but I was actually doing ministry there. It wasn't the same. It was, it was doing a lot. It was more outreach where they're re- interviewing, asking kids to come in, busing kids into the mm-hmm. church. Yeah. So like the most important part was they weren't coming if they weren't getting a meal. So like that was the the whole right. point of the ministry was to make sure the kids had a hot meal at least once that week. Right. And from there, working at Baker, coming to work with Jeremy at Bakerstown, which, which was super fun, super amazing. Jeremy's amazing. We had a good time doing ministry there. Uh, did that for about five years and then moved to Houston where I took a job for the church called City of Refuge, which was one of my most diverse churches I've ever been to in my life. Like talk about like legitimately reflecting the city, reflecting the kingdom of God, hmm. like just looked like nothing I've ever seen before. But even then the ministry was way different than the actual church body. The church ended up going back to kind of like my roots of doing ministry where most of the kids were bust into the church and they weren't. They weren't actually members of the church. The kids were just people in the community from a little, from like 10, 15 minutes away who were coming in. So the ministry that they needed was different than the kids that were actually growing up in the church and trying to balance the, the difference between these kids need a place where they feel safe and these other kids need a place where they can actually learn about God is really, really different context. Well, yeah, and I think what you're <clears throat> describing, what I'm hearing is and I think we can fall into this trap is thinking uh, our big gathering stuff can accomplish all we need in discipleship. And kind of what you're saying is, hey, there's all kinds of different needs of kids gathering in different ways, and we can't necessarily put all of our discipleship on that big gathering because sometimes that big gathering is going to be kids bust in from all over who have no grounding in the Word. It's really hard to disciple someone who uh, doesn't yet know Jesus. It doesn't really yeah. work well until you introduce them and walk with them and do all those things. So I think that's interesting to point out because I think sometimes we put so much emphasis on that big gathering that we forget, hey, that big gathering is also meant to lead to 
these longer term, smaller gatherings, one-on-ones, time in, in the Word. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I wanted to ask you, so how did you find you would, I mean, that's a lot of sort of different types of <laughs> ministry to, yeah. to, to balance. Like, to you, I think it was just like, okay, like, this is what I have to do. So what was that experience like from you going from, you know, a you know, very diverse youth ministry to, you know, um, uh, a, you know, a predominantly white youth ministry for outreach? The other way to say it, too, is like, how is that for you to go from a outreach-centered youth ministry <laughs> yeah, also to like a disciple-type youth ministry? I think for me, I, I think ministry is all kind of the, the cores of it are all the same. Like, we sure. haven't reinvented the rule. Like, Usually we feed them or something. There's yeah. food. There's food involved. Yeah. We talk a little bit about Jesus. Yeah. Hopefully a lot about Jesus. And then like we have some fun. Like those are the the basic cores of youth ministry. But at the same time, we also I think it's I think we have to be open and listening to our kids and listening mm-hmm. to their stories. I think a lot of times we we try to we try to give them this one size fits all youth ministry, and it's not that's not what they need. We don't know what they need if we actually don't ever talk to them mm. and hear their stories and hear where they're coming from and hear what they're actually, what they actually are interested in. <laughs> so, like I think a lot of times for me, when I was going from place to place to place, it was just about just listening to the kids, creating a place where like they felt like they belonged and they they trusted me enough to actually share the little bit of their lives with me, and being able to to balance in and out of what they actually needed because sometimes you. I'm going to be honest, there's a lot of times you try a lesson plan, you realize that that's not exactly what they needed. Like I try, I wrote this right. beautiful mm-hmm. lesson plan on uh, the saints of God and realizing that like midway through, they were looking at me like, so there's an Old Testament, a New Testament, right? And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, uh, what's the gospel? And they're like, all right, let's, let's start from the beginning here and let's <laughs> lay some pillars down before we actually start diving into the bigger picture things yeah. where we can dive into things. So I have to meet you where you are in order to lead you where I want you to go. Yeah. So what barriers do you feel like you had mm. when, yeah, maybe even for yourself ministering, like what barriers do you feel like there were in those ministries to get to where you wanted to go? Yeah. I think a lot of times just like cultural understanding of who, who people are. I think sometimes it's like you think because you are older and you've experienced a lot of times, a lot of things in life, you kind of know where things are going and where things are coming from and where people are coming from. And I think most of the time it's, it's not based on those things. It's like, just because you are born in Pittsburgh in 2002, doesn't mean that you're the same person that was also born in Pittsburgh in 2002. And you grew Mm -hmm. up like a block away from each other. Like there's, your family is going to be different. Your 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 way you grew up is going to be different, and I think that's important for us to to open our eyes to see like all those those little bit of differences that come in with people. I think ministry a lot of times it's I we we talked about this actually earlier. It's just like I see I I'm really big on like individual experiences and dealing with people individually. Mm-hmm. So like I I'm, I find it hard to come up a lot of times with like big picture goals and big picture visions because like I like to look at people and just be like I want to see where you are right now and right. lead you to a different spot than where you are right now. And I think a lot of times for me, it's easier for me just to be like, I just want to look at you and just be like, let's talk about you. And let's talk about what that means for us to talk about discipleship, discipling you and not necessarily coming up with this big overarching goal and plan more like I want to come up with like a customizable create a 2k player (laughs) plan for you and not just necessarily like, 
this one size fits all mold for your discipleship. Well, and, and that, yeah, so the, the danger that I think we all fall into is this assumption that we look out at our students and we kind of assume they're all the same. Mm. Um, and I think that the challenge becomes it's far easier to disciple everyone when we flatten it down and we make it, hey, this is who I'm discipling and we're going to move with this. But then we don't realize that we we kind of then usually talk over kids instead of talk to them because uh, we're not really having those conversations. So how have you found then to, once you start having those conversations and finding where kids are, how do you bring that one-on-one experience to a, hey, or how's, here's how we do this together as a group? I mean, we have the phrase like faithfulness is pursued together, right? That's not a one-on-one sure. thing to do. You have to do this in fellowship and relationship with other people. You have to, they, they need you in mm-hmm. order for them to grow. So I think in, I think in all these places, even like when I was a kid, like the way that I was discipled by even like my youth pastors was just finding a place to serve, finding a mm-hmm. place to get plugged in, in the church. That wasn't just like my comfortable place. Mm-hmm. Like I still remember the day, like my, my dad volunteered me that I was going to be, uh, like doing a funeral with him and like they didn't have pallbearers. So like me and my boys were being pallbearers for this, for this funeral because Mm -hmm. they needed someone to do it. So we all dressed up in suits and we, we were the pallbearers. And I remember specifically because someone else picked me up because he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And like having that guy walk me through and doing this ministry, Mm -hmm. that's something I, I would never volunteer to do ever in my life. I don't even want to do that now. And having someone actually have me do that and how that, changed the way I viewed church, changed the way I saw things inside of my own little personal bubble. And also just like that kind of stuff was stuff I did all the time. Like I got pulled out of church one time to change an old lady's tire. I didn't even know how to change a tire at that time. I was like mm-hmm. 14. And my, <laughs> like a deacon just pulled me out and was like, come here. It's in the snow, Get down on the ground, change this tire with me. And like looking for opportunities to serve in this bigger, bigger part of this kingdom of God, this bigger place in church is like what we really need. I think in youth ministry, because a lot of times we look, we are so stuck in our own bubble when we're in high school, in middle school. It's like everything's about, like, this is the end of the world if something bad happens to me. And we actually don't get a chance to be outside of our views. And that intergenerational ministry is important for us to be able to get outside of our own heads. Yeah, that's good. I was thinking as you were talking about, you know, your time in Houston and you're like, you know, busting kids from different places. What, uh, <laughs> What were some positive and, and positives and negatives that maybe you discovered when the kids would get together? So there's like, you know, there's the intermingling within the large group. And, and I'm sure, you know, some kids stayed with one another. It's like the cafeteria and the mean yeah. girls, right? So, you know, everybody's got their place and where they go. Like right now, you keep talking about the like, why are guys on the right side and, and girls on the left? Like <laughs> what, understand it. what is that, sense. right? So. You, you and I were like, well, you know, our kids clearly aren't here to date anyone. <laughs> so there's, there's a positive. So take what, take know, that. That's okay. Yeah, right. So what, you know, for you, what did you discover were some of the challenges um, hmm. whenever kids would just like their cultures and backgrounds would like come together? And, I, think a, I think a lot of times it's just like there's always the desire to shut down. I think hmm. especially when you come from a black Baptist mentality where church is like three and a half hours long and worship is like, an hour and a half of that, like when you go to a church and like worship isn't important to them, it's kind of, it's easy to want to just like, like you're not singing a song and you're not repeating it or you're not singing a song that I know and you want to just walk away and leave. 
and just like, I'll go to a different church. I'll do something else. And I think the, the, the challenges in that is giving them a chance to prep beforehand sometimes and like giving them a chance. Like I love what new community does right now, sending out the worship songs beforehand and being able to listen to them before worship starts. It's really an awful, also opportunity to be like, Hey, this might not be what you're used to, but at least you can have a chance to, <laughs> at, least you, at least you know the song. I remember a Sunday, I was, you know, I have a meeting with him, uh, you know, one-on-one every Tuesday. I was like, how was this last Sunday for you? Because he's in his first month, yeah, and he's yeah. like, I didn't know any of the songs. And I, I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, I could see that. Every church has its own kind of hymnody, own thing. The yeah. Bakerstown was the same way. It's like, right? you know, you know yeah. like, I knew when I, after a while, you knew like the, the 15 songs are going to be sung. And then, like, now I'm going, like, I don't know any of these. And then, like, Matt's a great worship leader. But at the same time, I'm like, Matt, I don't even, Matt, what do you, what song is this? I, what, are you, <laughs> <laughs> what are you singing to me? Or, like, last Sunday, they sung Gyra. And I was like, this is not the way I normally hear Gyra. This is not the Mavic, Maverick this City's is not the, this nine is, minute version of Gyra. It's, it's not even in the, I, like, I know, like, gospel music and Christian music all have, like, different keys and it's not in the right key and it's distracting for the first 15 seconds of being like you sure this is gyra I'm like are we singing this right you somebody somebody get the band you guys aren't singing the right song this right. isn't gyra right. this isn't how we heard it on maverick city you guys changed the key or it's really just the guitars lead instead of the piano it's not we're not used to this and i think i'm just bringing that back full circle i think sometimes it's just a matter of like being out of your comfort zone isn't fun mm-hmm. and i think sometimes when we do ministry and these different we have different students that are coming in these different areas. They're not in their comfort zone, and knowing that they're not in their comfort zone is is part of the job. <laughs> and like it's not about necessarily always changing and adapting to make mm-hmm. them comfortable, mm-hmm. but also being aware that they're not comfortable is part of the position. Like I know, like when I worked for, at Robert Morris for a while as with the CCO, like I had this joke where we called this like the the CCOB, which is like CCO Black. I had this like black girl coalition of girls that just came. They only came at three of them and they never came the same week. Like legitimately, there was only three black students that came and there was only three of them. They only came alternate weeks. It was like they sent out a memo of like, this is week three's mine. I have week four. And so for me, it was important for me to just kind of like, I knew they were uncomfortable because of like, they looked around. They was like, nobody's like me. We're singing songs that I don't really know. And getting them together and knowing that like, hey, let's talk. And let's talk about things that they're not willing to talk about up front or maybe necessarily not comfortable with like letting your hair down and having that real conversation about like, like everyone wants to talk about race when you have a mental, when you have a diverse group, but how uncomfortable it is for the black person to talk about race when everyone else wants to talk about race. Cause you're not, you're not having the same conversation as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Like, being dealing with race is something that I've dealt with my entire life. Mm-hmm. And you're just now coming to grips with it at 19. Like, yeah, like I'm, I'm at like a 500 class. I'm taking my master's degree in this. I'm getting my doctorate in this. And you're just now want to do a one-on-one, one-on-one discussion. I'm mm-hmm. like, yo, I really don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to, I want to talk about that doctorate level stuff that deals with like microaggressions that like when that one lady touched your hair, which happened to my daughter, like a week ago. Mm. It was really weird. Mm. Some random lady at Kelly O grabbed my daughter's hair. It was like nice hair. And I was like, well, ma'am, ma'am, you don't know her. Why are you touching her? Touch but anyway, no, touch, don't touch my daughter, please. <laughs> but anyway, I think, it, I think the conversations like that, it's yeah. like for me, it's like how do we get those people in the room that feel this certain way and have those bigger, let them know like faithfulness pursued together, even though even the little stuff sure. about like race, social economics, 
it's important for us to like get those people together and actually talk about it in like a place sometimes where they feel comfortable. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, Jeremy. Yeah. No, maybe no, it's good. I was like thinking through like, man, I think <laughs> hearing that makes me go, Oh, like a, a student's world is so small in, in terms of mm-hmm. their like ability to hear a different perspective. Like it made me our, our conversation last week. We, we were having a conversation about gospel music. Uh, I'm big. I, I, I like gospel music. It's not my go-to every time, but I like it. But you know, I was like, you know, I have a conversation with you where I was like, um, you know, white dude broke, brought up mostly in white church and listening to white songs in terms of like, you know, the, you, we've talked about the camp songs. Yeah. Remember when we talked about when like all these kids go to camp and they're all the like mainstream, you know, white artist songs that are out there, so on and so forth. And I was just like, Hey, you know, the perspective, I feel like I, you know, the background behind gospel music is joy. Cause it just always feels so joyous and the, they're mostly in major keys, like it, those sorts of things. And then you were like, no, actually it's pain. And it's pain because of, how, how did you say it? Like this, it's reflected in like this understanding of where this all comes from, like this slave movement. Like yeah. these songs come out of slavery mm-hmm. and that it, it's all still rooted in that. Like even the happy songs are still rooted in like yes. the, the pain that is felt in America in general, but more so like this understanding that things life is going to be painful it's almost like the in this life there will be trials and tribulations but take heart of overcome the world yeah it's like that's written in every song yeah even in the happy ones yeah and and when i and then this last week i, I was telling him because i was listening to, i was listening to some a gospel station and i was like this is ruined me for the good like to be able to understand the what's going on behind mm-hmm. that but unless we actually you know our worlds collide where I'm, I'm trying to learn and understand something that's different than me i would never have that conversation like i imagine if we brought a more gospel song to what we do on a thursday night with our kids and they're not used to that kind of music they'd be like well they probably would resist it because it's different Versus being willing to open up and have a conversation about the like, no, 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 you got to know what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, who used to do that really well was Mark Williams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mark Williams uh, from Pittsburgh Kids <clears throat> Foundation when he was working there and he was he was in charge of the music. Um, he used to bring a lot of that gospel background in mm-hmm. and, you know, and it was a good opportunity for them. And he used to teach like the meanings behind the songs. I remember one of the songs was, um, oh God. The, the you know it was called uh, it's like phone line or like you know you can access God through prayer I can't remember but it was like a good it was a good like classic uh, gospel song that he brought that he taught yeah. and that was yeah, what yeah. he wanted to do was trying to break down some of those barriers for people to like learn and listen and so if you have you know it, you, I think some of the opportunities that's missed in a non-diverse youth ministry is the opportunity to listen and learn from a different perspective so then the question becomes as leaders um, how do we find unity in diversity. And I don't mean just like, yay, hold hands unity. I mean, like, how do we pursue Christ together and help our students and those students that might feel like they are the one that is different from everyone else, whether it's obvious or not obvious? What are some things we can do to help that process? Because yes, faithfulness is pursued together. So what are some things that can be done either in your experience or again with you too, Joel, that we can find this unity and find this common ground so that we can teach? Because I think that what usually happens is people talk over each other and they kind of pay lip service to diversity and unity, but they don't actually get to the heart of how this actually looks. I think for me, it's like I have more that are not to do than to do. I think that it's, that makes sense. It's like, yeah. it's, if you, 
you can't pander to it just to pander to it. Mm-hmm. Like if you're going to, if you want a diverse song selection, if you want your gospel or worship choir to look diverse, it doesn't matter how diverse it is if the song selection isn't diverse. Mm-hmm. Like if you're only, if you're still singing the same five songs and singing in the same key, like does it matter if everyone else looks, if it looks different than the rest of the congregation or if it, it's a diverse group? It's just, you're actually just doing diversity for diversity's sake and not actually caring about what diversity looks like. So I, I think for me and what I've seen, what I've seen work the most in these places has been like, I think the easiest place to start is music because music is the the place where like when we go on Sundays, what kind of sets people apart of like what church looks like when you go to different types of churches. Mm. And I think for, I think a lot of times when we go there, it's, it's okay to like be like we were talking about with Mark and explain the song. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about working at city of refuge was when they explained a song in that was in Korean the first like couple months, they just, we sung the song in Korean. Initially we sang it, we sung it in English. Then we sang it, then we sang, we sang it in Korean. Then like, I remember a couple months into it, like we weren't singing English anymore. And we also weren't keeping the English words up there either. Right. It just became like a, you understood, like we are singing this Korean song and you're going, you know what it means now. And the time that it took for us to learn it was was important. And I think at the same time, it was we we're also okay with being uncomfortable in the fact that like maybe just maybe this song isn't for me completely, but it's also okay because there's someone else in this in this church who feels like my experience and my way I'm growing up has been honored at this church, and they actually really care. Mm. And I. I think that's a lot of times, like even at the same time, they did the same thing for gospel music on Sundays where like sometimes the, the music was a little bit more gospel than normal. Like they just, they sung a couple of songs and they, they took it all the way there. They had the little praise break and they had the, the everything there for, for the people that grew up in the same way I grew up where like, this is normal for church. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of need this every once in a while for me to feel like I'm at home. I think it's, I think what we, what we need to do more than anything is not pander. Like, mm. please, 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 please don't just throw black brown bodies up there just to make it look like you care when mm. you actually aren't willing to change anything that you're actually doing. Well, I think it can go both ways too, in the sense that it's easy to just give people what they say they want, um, as opposed to leading them to a place they need to be. And so I think when you play music and, and I mean, much of our perspective here at Bakerstown, um, predominantly white, all white. I mean, other than when you were here, honestly, and, uh, our worship conversation is different, but it's also somewhat the same in the sense that it's people fighting for what they find comfort in. And it's not just about giving people comfort, but it's about teaching people what it is to be in discomfort to love your brother and love your sister. And I, and I think that being comfortable with discomfort in some ways bites through the pandering, bites through the, hey, we actually are here. And I might be a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not going to hide my discomfort to make you feel better, but I'm going to learn what it is to do this together. And I think as leaders, that's the hard part of leading this is we have to enter into pushing our students and our youth ministries sometimes into places of discomfort, but teaching them through it, not just saying, Hey, you're going to be uncomfortable, but like teach them the purpose of what it looks like to say, Hey, you may not understand this, but this is really important. So let's do this together. And then over time, like you said, 
that 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 illustration of that story of of the song in Korean I think is beautiful because then now you you one know what it means two now you're singing it in solidarity with your Korean brothers and sisters in Christ and it becomes a beautiful Revelation 7:9 picture of the kingdom but it didn't come out of like just oh we wanted to do this nice thing so we sang a song in Korean yeah it be, it was much deeper than that so I think the question is, and I don't have an answer, is how do we find ways to create discomfort for the sake of building community? Because I think there's more diversity in our youth groups than we realize. Yeah. Um, right. And it's a, it didn't have to just be, you know, in terms of culture and race, too. I mean, sure. we talked before the podcast about the like socioeconomic one. So I know that where our church is, it's predominantly white. It's predominantly rich. But then we have some people who don't fit that bracket that come to our youth ministry. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, we have about, I think it's about eight different schools represented in that as well. And so like what your culture is at school, how do you, in what ways, what kind of community, there, there it is, like, does your community reflect a particular culture of school, or are you neutralizing that? Ooh. Like that—that that should be what the kingdom of God. That's what—that's what Sunday morning should be in some yeah. regards. Is the neutralizing of a certain kind of brand or a certain kind of way of doing things um, be able that you know that's a, you know that fits most people, mm-hmm. but like other things that might be, make people comfortable. You know, one of the things Matt and I talked about a little bit, um, Matt is our worship uh, pastor. He also happens to be African-American. And when he first came in, he wanted to bring a lot of gospel songs to our congregation. And he just found it was difficult. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he, he still incorporate, incorporates them every now and then. But like, you know, after our conversation, uh, you know, the a couple weeks ago, I was kind of like, hey, Matt, why? You know, I asked him, I was like, hey, Cal, we were doing that at the beginning. What happened with that? And he just found that there was a barrier for him when it came to our, our people. But you know, I feel like it's a good opportunity to be able to neutralize things and to mm-hmm. learn in a different way how people worship uh, and and be able to bring that in on a consistent basis, not to the pandering basis. Yeah. yeah. Because if the king, yeah. if God's going to look, you know, diverse, it's going to require diversity to be brought into it as well. Um, and so I think for you know, I think for our youth ministries, are we creating? Is everything been you know in some regards leveled? Uh, in in a way that it makes its accessibility for everybody be be there. Like mm-hmm. we talked about the like the price for camp for our church. Like we go to like a bunch of different camps a year. Some families can only afford to go one out of three camps. Yep. What are you doing yep. to neutralize that? Yep. Right. So we we provide we budget in scholarships for people who need it, and we let the people know that like scholarships are there. So and I also have people in our congregation that I know if I wanted them to write. I've literally walked up to somebody and say, hey, I need a $500 check for Surf City. Can you write that for me? She wrote it right there on the spot. It's just like knowing who your people in your congregation, mm-hmm. the generosity to be able to help neutralize that. You know, when, when people come in, do you, you know, yeah, what are the what are the different ways of which our youth ministries can create their own community in a way that is, that that mm-hmm. you know, all these kids coming in from different backgrounds, from you know, single family homes from, you know, non-church backgrounds. How can you help those kids too? Because, I mean, that's another direction for us to go is like, you know, what about kids who come from a non-Christian home mm-hmm. uh, into a Christian background where they don't know the language, right? They don't know exegesis and eisegesis, you know, you know, they don't know those sorts of things. They barely know, 
that that uh, you know Nahum is a minor prophet. Actually, they don't know they that don't, Nahum, they don't that Nahum is that. a minor prophet, right? They barely know what the first the first. Coughed. I know. <laughs> yeah. So, like, how do you, how do we help our kids in that regard? Mm. I mean, what, what what thoughts do we have? Any, any? How do we fix this problem right here, right now? On once this and podcast? for all, yes, the one time, the one podcast that ends all podcasts from this point forward. <laughs> Well, I, I think that it, it begins with posture, and I think that's why worship has been a, a really interesting kind of case study as we're talking about this, is worship changes our posture. When we worship God, our hearts are moved from focus on ourselves to focus on God. And whether that's singing is worship, whether that's praying is worship, whether that's reading scripture is worship, uh, God seeks us to worship in spirit and truth. And I think that part of the reason for that is it changes our posture. And so when your posture has begun to change, you're able then to walk together with others. But if you come in with a me first posture, or this is about me, or I showed up to youth group tonight just to play the game that I want to play and do the thing I want to do. Like if that's your posture, there's a huge problem. I've told this story multiple times to our students but this helps illustrate that I had a friend of mine who went across overseas for a time and he was attending a church on Sunday mornings over in the UK. And one Sunday he just decided, you know, what? I'm not feeling it. I'm not going to church this Sunday. Pastor called him up that week to see if he was doing okay. Mm. Good pastoral ministry. And he responded to the pastor. He said, I just wasn't feeling it. I, I just slept in. And the pastor responded and said, how dare you? How dare you deprive your brothers and sisters of your encouragement it's not about you. Mm. And, and I think so getting to that posture of why students, the students that we can disciple one-on-one and get to, why are they showing up at youth group? Is it just for them or is it to be an encouragement and a love? I think when you start getting into that level of faithfulness pursued together, of calling each other to a standard, I think you're going to have an easier time of finding that common ground because I'm not just showing up to play dodgeball. And if we don't play dodgeball, I'm not listening. Mm. Yeah. I think for me, it's just like the, my dad calls it the cheers mentality of churches. Like I think your youth group has to be glad that everyone came and everyone knows their name. And I think a lot of times we, I think it's not over. I know it's overly simplifying it, but at the same time, it just feels like most of the time we, we have to know the kids. Not only we have to know each kid. I think the kids also have to know each other and know that they, that they're cared for and trusted in that room. I think a lot of times that's what small groups are doing is the goal is to be able to have this honest and open, transparent conversation with each other. But it comes more than just like being able to be honest with each other. Like there's something great about like people glad that you're here. And if you're glad that they're here, how much do I know of your story and how much do I care about your story? How much do I care about where you came from? If like if I only talk to you on Sunday mornings during the small group time, like how much do I really actually care mm-hmm. about you and like encouraging and fostering those, those relationships, not only with each other, but with us and all the our leaders in order to know each other. Yeah. It's a, it does, you don't show favoritism. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, that's a way to be able yeah. to level. No the partiality. Field. Absolutely. Like, yeah. You, you have, you have a conversation. You, you would talk to the same kid exactly the same way, like yeah. you know, or you talk to different kids exactly the same way. We treat everybody exactly differently, right? They all require different needs, but yeah. nonetheless, their need for like care and relational ministry is still the same. Those skill things and the mm-hmm. things that they grow in terms of their own discipleship. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking. You know, we have a couple of kids, and Kai comes to mind. Like Kai could, Kai could lead a Bible study for adults tomorrow, like he just could. 
he, he's, he's, he's got a good Bible mind and he knows his stuff overall. He's, you know, he's been in our Bible studies for years. But then I think about, you know, one of our other kids named Hunter. He's still up on, he's still learning and growing and he's trying to, you know, understand. And he's part of the Bible studies now and he's, he's getting some of that, I don't know, use the phrase lingo down, but <laughs> he, you know, he's kind of like, what's a gospel? One of his questions was like, what, what is a gospel? What does that even mean? <laughs> now, if you ask one of my students, he would say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because he knows it makes me upset. No, I'm like, I, know, I want to know the Greek word euangelion. What does that mean? You know, and and be able to, you know, what is the good news sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like that's a great reminder is in, in ministering to your students, no matter how different they are, treat them exactly the the same overall but like you need to be different in how you approach them in terms of their ministry so i know you guys at bakerstown you had a wide variety of students here how did you guys navigate <laughs> that like you, yeah, you had kids who were some some churchy kids but then some not very not so. yeah and, and and the beauty of that i think we reviewed this a little bit in our camps episodes i think i think it comes down to um, the challenge of young people building relationship today, I think, is is exponential compared to where when we grew up as kids. Um, there's just so many barriers for entry to get into relationship with people, and so yeah. much has become digital that it, it's very strange. But I think a, a big part of it for us is just getting away on simple little times that relationships and stories and times can be built, like like having a football game at a retreat where it's just the two guys. And guess what? Every one of our students was cheering in unison for our group. It's something that unified us. So I think finding those moments where things are stripped away. But here's the challenge is it is so hard when, and and this has honestly been some of the times we've been there where we're like, oh, they're getting it. They're on the path. And then something becomes glaringly obvious that no, no, we're not as unified as we thought we were. Um, and, and so it's a constant process of prayer and pouring into students. And uh, there's going to be an element that all the kids in your ministry are not going to all be friends. It's just the truth. They're not necessarily all going to be yeah. friends. But it's a great lesson to learn that you're not going to be friends with everyone in the body of Christ, but we still can be one. And how do we find this unity in Christ? And so I think for us, it comes back a lot to m- hammering down the gospel and knowing the gospel unifies us. Um, even in our unbelief or disbelief or differing backgrounds, the hard part is we all have different definitions and kids come with different things. So it's, it's a constant struggle for us. And a lot of times, like as Lee said, it meant we'd come in with a lesson of a Bible study and it just flies out the window and we're attain, we're attending to the needs of the students in that room that we kind of misdiagnosed. And so it's a lot of humbling youth group nights and a lot of walking away going, wow, that wasn't the conversation I expected, but I'm glad that it went that direction. So yeah, that, that, that's a lot of us. Recently, what we started doing is trying to ask the kids what they needed and listening, mm. um, listening to their doubts, listening to their concerns. We had two girls um, want to make a presentation on what the Amish believed, and it put us into a conversation of what do other people believe and what are other what is Christian, what isn't, what, what is the standard, what isn't. Um, talked about Mormonism, some of those types of things, because this is where their brains are going. And so letting that be okay, that, hey, we put aside the curriculum we purchased for a while just to have these conversations. I want to hear what you have to say in a second, but do you guys, do you find that kids are more open to learning or they they require a little, little of encouragement? 
depends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it depends on if what you're trying to teach them okay. contradicts what they think they already believe. Hmm. So if they have something that they think is untouchable in their mind or in their cultural belief that they're bringing to scripture, and I think that's where we all struggle is these preconceived notions of what who Jesus is and what I should believe. So I think it's when it stuff bumps up against that, really d- difficult. But I think they're sponges when they want to talk about things that are outside of them. Yes. When it starts to get to the inside, it becomes really challenging. At least in our context. Yeah. I want to keep talking about this, but I want to hear no. what you have to say. Yeah. No, what do you have to Do you want to say something after I, I... I think what... Just adding on what Jeremy said about like punting. I think one of the best nights... All the nights that I think were outside of camp that were actually impactful to the kids were the nights we did something different than the norm. Like the nights where we just were like, all right, let's spend time in prayer or let's spend time. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we had a student from Robert Morris come in and like lead an art, a way to experience God through art. And she just like led them through this like beautiful artsy prayer time involving which, scripture. And, and, and yeah, it was, yeah. And it, it was, was awesome. like, and it was amazing. And it was something that like a lot of those kids were like, wait, 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 wait. I can read my Bible like this. I don't have to actually like do the the like super serious like I read one chapter and then I journal about it way right. I can actually yeah wait mm-hmm. I can I can draw a picture to worship as I as I reflect on this scripture that's I could do that I'm like right. yeah that's allowed just go ahead and do it and like and I think for for us I think I think those were the ways that opened up their minds to like see God in a different way than just the same straight hmm. church Bible study way that we feel like you always feel like you're in the rhythms of doing all the time. And that's kind of why I sometimes laugh at all made ready to go productions that you apply to your youth group. um, That sometimes people don't think about contextualizing to their students. Uh, And, and you have to, you have to be willing to take uh, audibles and, and not hold so tightly that, the decision of the direction I chose as the leader is always the right decision and direction. It may not be. I remember the time we did gospel center life for teens and we were like four <laughs> weeks in and we were just like, Hey guys, what's the gospel? And not a single one of them could tell you what the gospel was. And was just like, so we failed the last four weeks. Correct. Yes. So let's, um, go let's go backwards and yeah. let's define this for another four weeks yeah. before we even dive back into this book. Yeah. Yes. And we actually did that this past Sunday. We walked through the gospel again because we have a different group of kids and a different... Yeah, it's hard to get it to stick sometimes. Yeah, it's also like, how do you get them to get it to stick too? So, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like having this like moment of regret here <laughs> of the like, you know, I've we've changed a little bit of how we've done youth ministry over the years uh, from the earlier episodes talking about we are very attractional in our youth ministry for a sure. long time. We talked about the question this morning. We're reading Duffy Robbins. Uh, That's building, what he said. Yeah, yeah. Building youth ministry that builds disciples. And, you know, he talked about, you know, um, what is your vision for what you want your kids to become? Mm. And I think when I first started in ministry, I wanted to like, you know, where do kids need to be? And mm. they're like, they need to be in my ministry. And how do I get them here? Right. So, yeah. and, and that was an yeah. easy way to do that. And that, that, that was successful. Uh, but that doesn't really answer the like, what do I want them to become? And and actually it does because it teaches them what to expect out of church and, you know, what does it mean to be a part of it? 
you know, I, I uh, we're pretty, we're not always say we're cookie cutter in how we do things. We, mm. we can be, but it, you know, one of the things that I've been learning about our students is we've, um, for the last several weeks, we've had uh, people that aren't me or Sophia speaking. Lee's been starting to speak and that's even a breath of fresh air for them. Like giving different things mm-hmm. to our kids has actually been more of a positive than a negative. Like we, we had three straight weeks where we had people share their testimony and they like loved it. They ate it up. Now, Sophia was one of them, but they had, sure. it was different than the like, here, let me just like teach you guys these sorts of things. And it's like, what else more could we teach them that's different than the, what than what they know so they can actually, um, you know, understand different backgrounds. You know, mm. even in my, uh, I did a world religions course with my Bible study guys a couple weeks ago. I'm like, I didn't want to catch flack for it, but I wanted to invite some Mormons in mm-hmm. so that Mormons actually had a chance to talk on their behalf, even though I understand their doctrine pretty well, but at least have the experience where you mm-hmm. talk to someone who is different from you, from you in the flesh like having a conversation about it rather than like me spouting off a bunch of doctrinal statements about what the Mormons believe um, and then walking through them and unpacking them and then comparing them to scripture, which I think that's fine and good, but it's, it, I really wanted to have that moment where our kids could like experience, like what does mm-hmm. it mean to have a conversation with someone that mm-hmm. may disagree with you? Because when they become adults, they're going to have those unless they de- they decidedly live in their own echo chamber and don't do anything else. Which so. is the danger. But yeah, Sean McDowell talks a lot about that. He would he would take his students to Utah and go like door to door and evangelize. Uh, he would bring in atheists all the time uh, to have conversations with their kids. And, and that kind of gets to your, uh, an analogy you used back in season one, this idea of, are we, are we sparring at youth group? Mm-hmm. Are we really letting them experience um, these challenges? Um, and and it, it, it really greatly depends upon your group of kids. If I brought in uh, a Mormon to come talk to our students, I think our students right now are in such a diverse, strange place that it just wouldn't necessarily be profitable. The only questions right. they would ask would be about polygamy. I mean, that's probably the only questions <laughs> that would be asked. Might get converted to yeah. it, so. <laughs> right, right, right. They're so not Christian that they might become Mormons yeah. at the end of it, right? And you're like, oh, darn it, right? You know. <laughs> That didn't go. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. That's, but I, that I think one's the on me. I think the analogy that we've used a lot of times, and the pandemic put us into this, is building the plane as you fly it. It's okay to kind of jump into an unknown when you feel pulled that direction, especially when you have at the heart of your purpose discipleship of students. I think it gets dangerous when you have a different purpose. Um, if if you're just trying to grow space in a room, so you're doing different things to see who will show up. Um, but yeah, I think that that is a big part of finding that and being willing to listen to kids when it doesn't go well. Um, and, and knowing like, Hey, I mean, how many times did we sit down and we debrief a youth group and go, wow, that, that just went nowhere. It was awful. A lot of times we felt like that. It was just like, especially when we're doing more of the cookie cutter, cutter stuff. It was mm-hmm. like that, that was pointless. It was a wasted an hour and a half with these kids. <laughs> You didn't waste it. You didn't well, so the, it. I'm the, sure it might have felt like that. <laughs> it felt they hard. came back the next week, so it back. wasn't yes. entirely wasted. And, and maybe you're feeling that way, the, those of you that are listening still at, at this point. But I, I think the, the encouragement I would have, and I, this is the encouragement I just gave a grandmother this morning who was kind of just heartbroken uh, for her granddaughter who's walked away from the faith. And 
the, the scripture that, that reminds us that's not a promise. I wish it was a promise, but train up a child in the way that they will go and they will not depart from it. That's not a promise, but it's good uh, practice and that I'm seeing more and more. I'm getting contact from students who used to be in youth ministry a decade ago who are reaching out to me and saying, man, what we talked about, what we went through still was so foundational in our life. And so not seeing the fruit can be really depressing sometimes. Uh, however, stay true to pointing kids to Christ. Stay true to this idea and understanding of how we disciple to find unity in Christ and be willing to listen to the peripheral things to help students who might have a different ethnicity or race background in our youth ministries feel welcomed, loved, appreciated, as much as that kid who's seems like the normal, he fits in no matter where he goes, because um, I'm sure that kid actually feels alone as well. So that that's, I guess, the principles that we've kind of pulled out of today is this, how do we do this? I think there's so much more conversation on the practical. What what are what is maybe a practical thing that you've seen done, Lee, that, that you've, you've kind of give some of the what not to do, and maybe it's even in that vein too, what not Did to do. Did you give the whole what not to do list? Because I felt like I wanted to come he back to one. it. He gave one. gave one. Go through like, the list. Uh, man, that's a lot of pressure right now. I'm trying to think what they were. Uh, don't pander was number one. Okay, and then we went off on that. Yes. Yeah, we lost our two. So we did. Uh, uh, what's the other one? They all revolve around different forms of pandering. One's musically. The other ones with your preaching style. Don't think that you just because you like you think black people like rap music doesn't mean you have to. When I walk in, play rap music. Um, Lecrae's okay. You don't have to always play him. It's fine. You like him. <laughs> you like him, but you don't have to always play Lecrae because I'm because we're black and it's okay. There's other people besides like Maverick City. You can listen to like other people besides him, besides them. Sorry, they're they're really good, but you can listen to other people. Uh, What's another one that I experienced as I'm just thinking of like lists that happened when I was a kid of like what happened when I went to youth group. Oh gosh. It's the, it's the, uh, don't play Wonderwall. Cause I remember I went to a couple of churches that were like, yeah, Wonderwall. Everyone knows Wonderwall. I didn't know Wonderwall. Why are we playing Wonderwall? I've never heard that song before. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> we're done with this list. Uh, but I, for me, like what's something practical that we could do I, besides like, being okay with being uncomfortable. I, I, I think it's just, I, man, I keep coming back to a, a student that had like a really bad experience hmm. uh, and just going like, what could have, what could we have done to fix that before it came is a lot of times just, I think a lot of times we don't address the elephant in the room hmm. that like, I, I know that you know that you're uncomfortable here and I know that you know like why you are uncomfortable here. And we're never okay with like actually saying like, hey, as the one black kid or the one white kid or the one Asian kid, are are you actually okay here? Like, do you, do you feel safe? Do you feel like, do you feel heard? Is there something that, that like you want us to talk about that you feel like we never will talk about here? Is this actually, is it actually okay? Because I think sometimes we lose kids mainly because mm-hmm. like, it's not that they don't feel like, cared for or loved here it's just that like they never feel that they can fully be themselves mm-hmm. and i think a lot of times we we want to be we can't be all things all people like that's impossible mm-hmm. for our youth ministry to like legitimately focus be like open to everything but i think a lot of times we don't even actually take the time to even have the conversation about like 
I know you're here every week, but are you, are you actually okay? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that like, like I, the thing I'm most proud about with working with the CCO was like that, like group of three black girls turning into like 20 black kids, like by the time I left. And that's like, that's something that like I didn't expect to happen, but it was really all because of them. And also that mental check-in of asking if they're okay. Because they felt okay, they invited their friends. And because they felt, because they knew that more people, like if their friends came, that they would be loved and accepted. Even if it's not by everyone in the room, because not everyone's going to be your friend, but at least, at least they felt like it was going to be okay and it's safe for me to invite other people to this place. So, so what do you do when you mess up? Because I, 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 I don't want to assume, and I know I've not done this well all the time. Um, I mean, you've seen the ways that sometimes I haven't. But so how do we repair maybe a moment where we misstep or where we, we even recognize, wow, we've done a poor job at this. Um, how, how have you seen ways or what would you recommend it as a way of like, okay, how do we repair what we've maybe broken accidentally uh, or just out of ignorance? I, I say sorry. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it just, I know it's, I know it's like the hardest thing sometimes for us to do is like recognize this leadership and just go to a, like a 16 or 15 year old and just be like, Hey, I'm a grown man, but I need to apologize to you and mm-hmm. say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And like, to humble ourselves enough to just be like, Hey, I, I did you wrong. And I'm sorry. I, I think that goes a long way when we actually are in this case, man enough <laughs> to apologize mm-hmm. to someone. Yeah. And it's especially a, a kid. I think we should do that. Even like I I've done that even with my own kids and like knowing that like I fumbled the bag and yelled at them when they didn't need to be yelled at and <laughs> like lost my temper, lost my temper. And like, mm-hmm. and it's something humbling to look at a three-year-old and be like, I did you wrong and mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And like, and I think we need to, I think practice that and apologize yeah. to someone and try to repair the relationship through that. That's a, that's the first place to start and you can't go any further until you start there. And it's not going to, you're not going to be able to do that if you don't recognize. Yeah. Right. And, and so that self-awareness I think is a big part. And when we see all these issues and problems that are, are becoming public about Christian leaders who are failing, usually it comes down to lack of self-awareness or lack of accountability of people in their life to sit down and say, Hey, you're wrong in this case. And so I think we have to be willing to, to take that correction and not, just be offended by it and become defensive. And yeah, that's, but you're right. It starts with that honest of a conversation. And and I think that one of the things that I appreciated so much of our time together in ministry is it reminded me, Hey, being direct, open and honest is okay. Um, you don't have to pretend like these divisions don't exist. They do. So let's not just hide them and pretend and pander, as you've said, but instead have honest conversations with students that know that you love them. Um, and, and try to repair from there. And that's a beautiful picture to the other students of what it looks like to journey together in the gospel uh, when, when they see that level of care. Because uh, there's definitely kids in every youth group that show up and are hard to love um, f- for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so how you love them and how you treat them can be a, a beautiful example of loving your neighbor, uh, of loving one another, and those things that Jesus uh, so clearly taught to us. Yeah, I was just thinking through, like, okay, how do we recap this? This is good stuff. I was thinking through the, like, yeah, how do you love everyone the same way, so there's no favorites. Um, you listen to the needs yeah. of each individual kid and, and figuring out what they need and how you can care for them. I think learning is another 
I mean, all in L's right now. You got to love, you got to listen, you got to learn. I, I, but it's also providing opportunities for kids to learn things different than they're used to as well. Mm. Um, yeah, which is which is good because I, I I feel like that opens them up to actually have conversations that are a little bit more difficult as they get older, and to not live in an echo chamber. I think we live in a time where a lot of echo chambering is happening. Yeah. Social media, you know, conversations among certain friends, you know, you know wherever yeah. they're coming from. I yes. think it's like to me, like even going that learning, it's like read people that don't look like you and think like you. And it, yes. and it's mm-hmm. and I'm not saying like read non-Christians or whatever, but right. I'm saying like there yeah. there's a lot of Christian theologians that aren't old white men that we can read and we can right. we can start by even something simply like maybe quoting them when we talk about a scripture for passage. Oh, right. Like maybe not only just Puritans. Right. Right, not just Jonathan Edwards, not yeah, George sure. Rufield, all those There's guys. other people. There's other people. Yeah. Yeah, I think um just I think that people can get caught in like how they're used to, you know, going to certain sources and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they just might miss the like, oh, you know, I there may be a different take than I am used to in this mm-hmm. regard. So, yeah, I think I think knowing that there are different takes from different people in cultures and backgrounds is a good thing, too. And being being willing to hold every take up to scripture. Right. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to even read someone you might disagree with. Like, yeah. you know, going in, you might disagree um, I think it's fair and good to read that and find better understanding from Scripture whether actually do you disagree or not. And if you do and it's your disagreement isn't based in Scripture, maybe maybe you should let that go. Because uh, if our disagreements aren't biblical, then th- we, we shouldn't be fighting those. We shouldn't be pursuing those. And I think that's a lot of what the disagreements happen in, in our world today. Uh, young Christians can't understand or don't understand their Bibles well enough to understand why this isn't a biblical difference and we can agree to disagree because yeah. it's not scriptural. And I think too, that just like, I think a lot of times we, I think a lot of times in my different cultural understandings of different churches, it's like, it's our way to get to Jesus isn't always the same for sure. each person and each, each cultural difference. Like I, I know like growing in, my, in the black church, like the way experience, like God was more experiential than he was intellectual. Mm. And that's, and that's okay that like, I don't have, I don't necessarily, some of the greatest people that I know follow Jesus the most. I don't know if they could tell me what the difference between exegesis and exegesis is. Mm-hmm. And, but I know they know their Bibles and I know they know God and I can tell them, they could tell me all about them, but mm-hmm. they can't use all the big Christian ease words yeah. to, in order to do that. And I think sometimes understanding that as we do ministry in different contexts that like, man, like there's different ways to get to God and there's, I'm not saying that one's better than the other, but I'm just saying like we, we have to keep that in mind as we do ministry that like sometimes like a good worship, like the reason why they care a lot about worship is because that's how they experience God. Hmm. And it's not necessarily saying that we're not trying to get them to read their Bibles and unpack those things, but we have to understand the context of where they're coming from in order to understand where, hmm. why this one thing, when they say like, I'm not going to this church because the worship is bad, even though the preaching is good, I, I can't, I can't go there because I can't, I can't hear the preaching because they never got me past this worship song that I didn't know. And it's important for us as we understand these things like experiential, intellectual, spiritually, all those things matter. And it's okay for them to have different understandings on how we get to God and how we understand those guys. We don't have to elevate one over the other in order for them. Just you have to understand God the exact same way that I do for you to love Jesus. There's there's other ways for you to actually love this God and experience this God. 
Well, and that's what I've appreciated uh, about our denomination, the EPC that we're in, uh, is that we, are we strive for unity in the essentials, uh, diversity in non-essentials, and in all things charity. And, and like being able to understand what is the core of the Christian faith that we must agree on, and then having grace and holding that grace and truth in balance. Uh, usually we're pretty hard on the truth and not always that good on the grace. And finding the ways in that, I think, is important. I think that's what you're saying. And I would 100% agree um, that we need to be able to, to do that well in our youth ministry. And when a kid stops coming, to ask ourselves the question, okay, um, did I err in this? Did I wrong in this? It, it's so easy just to say, oh, they, they just wanted games or they just wanted this. Um, but did I play a part in that? And how can I maybe reconcile those things? Oh man, I, we're, I know we're running low on time here. Well, um, we're we're past time, but that's fine. It's a good conversation. Yeah, it is. I, I also have to get, get my get my kids off the bus. So uh, they'll, once they'll again, live. I'm still good. I'm still good for that. <laughs> yeah, because for me, I, I one one sort of final thought, unless you guys want to add to it, was like, you know, what we do is teaching students what church is all about, and if we don't diversify that experience, sure. then they they might. Hmm. I think some people in some certain denominations where things appear cold and distant and just hollow and in routine some kid might be like well that's the only way if that's the only way to experience god this is lame right so that that can happen versus like a, a different experience where mm -hmm. there's a there's a lot more expressiveness to it and you know I, i've heard you know many years ago we were pretty con like our, our music was a little more concert based rather than worshipfully based and it's you know but i'm still on a, a spectrum that at least maybe you're used to lee it's still off some expressiveness uh, some areas but like we are more expressive than maybe a different type of church like maybe your church yeah <laughs> figure so you and sure. i have talked about this i was like you know you and i were talking about like this might appear to me more of an expressive upgrade in in how people are, are in worship but i think that's an interesting piece of this too is that like when when we go through our youth ministries we are teaching we are by you know consequence teaching students yeah. that this is how you're supposed to worship god versus the like the idea is just to worship God. And there's a variety of different ways to go about uh, uh, doing that. And some people might look at our church and, and, and be like, they're pretty cold in their, their worship. Some people might be like, you're too expressive, right? So yeah. like a, maybe someone from a Catholic or Presbyterian background going into a, a full gospel, you know, Baptist church, they might, they might be overwhelmed by that experience, but it's nonetheless, it's a way to experience God and it's yeah. neither good nor bad, uh, you know, uh, or and, better. It's just, and it only crosses that line when it starts to go against scripture. Right. And, and, and I think that too many people have a rigid understanding of, I mean, there were no organs in the first century. Right. Like, so like the organ isn't the only instrument that can be played to worship God. Um, but it's and the one that's played at Bakerstown Presbyterian. Sometimes. And not as much as some people would like. Um, <laughs> we need more cowbell. More yeah, cowbell. <laughs> more cowbell. And, and so I think that, yes, finding, finding the unity in the essential of uh, we are called to worship in spirit and truth. Yeah. And as we're worshiping in spirit and truth, that's the principle given to us in scripture. So that's what we seek after, not which instruments, which style, which expression. And so you're right. It can be very easy to, 
to put kids into or put worship into a box to put God into a box and say God is only worshiped in this way. And so expanding that understanding while still holding the scripture, that's the tension mm-hmm. that we're trying to deal with. And unfortunately, it's hard to get kids outside of what they see in front of them. Um, and sometimes we can't change the culture of the place we're in right. um, to that degree. Uh, and that's where it is helpful to have people who are different, of different cultures, of different backgrounds to come be a part, but not put all of the work on them to be, yeah, would you come be a part of our youth group and change the culture? Like, that's not their job. <laughs> um, especially but, a student. Yeah, especially a student. Too. But it's your job as a leader um, to make space for that um, and to carve out space for that, whatever that looks like. So that when things bump into each other. Um, I don't know how to do that well. We're still trying to figure that out. But yeah. This is the disciple making youth yeah. ministry podcast. Yeah, not the disciple made. Not the disciple made youth <laughs> they, ministry they aren't made yet. Not yet. Lee, it was such a joy to have you on today. Thank you for being willing to come on and have conversations about this. It's got my head spinning, you know, like, oh yeah. Like, like there's some things that I'm like, oh, now that I'm my way out of youth ministry. <laughs> um, but uh, but it's good, and, and I'd be curious to see what the Lord does through you as you bring some of that you know perspective into the youth ministry that He's uh, put you in uh, at our church. But uh, thank you guys so much for today. Thank you for listening. For those of you who uh, have stayed on this long, I think this was our longest episode. I think it is. It is. I think over an hour now. We'll, so. we'll say hi to Lee's mom who's still listening. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. I don't even think. What's your mom's name? No. Shout out to Brenda. There you go. Love you, Brenda. Shout out, Brenda. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, so that is all we have for today. We don't know what our next podcast is going to be about, but it's going to be amazing. But thank you for joining us here today, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Disciple Making Youth Ministry Podcast. We sure do hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe wherever it is you consume your podcast. We hope you have been encouraged by what you have heard, and you're ready to jump into the hard work of disciple making. Catch you on the next one.